0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org party today. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Rev. Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Reverend Galen McDowell, and I am the Executive Minister, Senior Assistant Minister, and the Director of the Johnny e. Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple. I'm in the midst of a new series titled Setting a Trap for God: The Aramaic Prayer of Jesus. And this is a book written by the Aramaic Bible scholar Rocco Erico, Dr. Rocco Erico. And it's basically about prayer and the Lord's Prayer as understood in its ancient Jewish Aramaic-speaking context. Hopefully, you're getting some blessings from this lesson, uh, from these podcasts, and I'm going to teach the book straight through, and hopefully, you will have some deeper insight into prayer and the Lord's Prayer. Obviously, I'm going to put my new thought twist on it, but it doesn't take a lot of Twisting because so much of this information matches up completely with how new thought presents prayer, the power of consciousness, our uh, viewpoints about God, et cetera, et cetera. So, this book is an absolute winner. So, on the first podcast in this series, I talked about the ancient Aramaic meaning of prayer, what it means, uh, and all of that good stuff. The second one was on the term our father, and the, what does the term father mean? And what does it mean when you pray our father at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? So I think that that was also a good thing that we can work on. And I, my hope and prayer is that you will give yourself the opportunity to really reflect, contemplate, and focus on these words and see if you're really just going through the Lord's Prayer because you were taught it as a child. Or are you really stopping and contemplating the meaning of the words? All right. So back to the book, page 41, chapter three, set apart. So at this point, of course, I'm not going to want to try to pronounce this Aramaic word. I'll do it here and there. But sometimes I know that I'm way out of my lane. So he gives an Aramaic word, which means holy be your name. Now, we're used to saying our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. He's translated holy be your name. So let's take a look at that. Holy be your name. One may also translate the phrase, let your name be set apart or set aside. The word, this Aramaic word, I'm I'm assuming this is quidisha, means pure, holy, a holy one or saint. It comes from the Semitic root word, which I don't know how to pronounce, to be holy, to hallow to sanctify, to consecrate, to set apart for a specific purpose, to dedicate for a holy use or cause or to a cause, vow to God to be distinct or to separate from an honorable function. Now, just by that alone, you realize just how deep it is to say, hallowed be thy name. Sacred. Set apart, pure, holy, consecrated, dedicated. You know, that's a different mindset. Now, in New Thought, we use the word, we say the name of something symbolizes the nature of something. So when we say name, we always mean nature, that every name has a nature. And a nature is the essential character of a thing. So when we say, Hallow be thy name, sacred set apart is thy nature. God's We teach a new thought that God's nature is absolute good. Now, he's going to get into some other things as far as the ancient Jewish and the Middle Eastern or Near Eastern context of these words, but I just want to make sure that we're clear about the new thought perspective. Name means nature. Nature means the essential character of a thing. So when you say hallowed or sacred or set apart is your nature, meaning that there's a wholeness, there's a spiritual wholeness that is everywhere equally present and within us, through us, as us. And when we stop to pray the Lord's Prayer and we're working with this concept of hallowed be thy name, hallowed be your name or holy be your name or set apart be your name, or you know separate be your name, or sanctify, whatever. It doesn't make a difference. I want you just to have the mindset that there is an aspect in, through, and as you that's perfect, whole, and complete. It's set aside. It's set aside from the stuff that you deal with in your day-to-day life experiences. You have experiences, but you're not your experiences. You go through stuff, you're not the stuff. You're a child of God. You're you're an individualized expression of the one presence and one power whose essential nature or name is absolute good. Just want that to be present to you. Now, he gives an example in the language, he would say, please set that drinking cup aside for the lecturer this evening. Then that particular cup becomes holy. In other words, the cup is set aside for a specific function. No one would use that special cup for any other purpose except the lecturer that evening. So when we start talking about hallowed be your name, another thing that we use in, in New Thought is the term I am. Now, when I came into New Thought, Under the leadership of the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman, absolutely legendary New Thought Minister, she would always say to us, never use I am in a downward manner. Never say something negative after I am, because I am is your spiritual identity. I am is God's name in you. So always I am something positive. I am something constructive. I am something that lifts you up, so it's like to this day, I'll say I apologize versus saying sorry and if I if if my body isn't expressing, I'll say, you know, you know my body needs rest, but my body's not expressing. I don't say you know I am if I'm saying it now for teaching purposes, sit, for instance. I never use I am in a downward manner to this day. Now, even if I'm feeling it, I am has been set aside, set apart, sacred, holy, for me to use to align myself with my own spiritual wholeness so I don't play around with it. I am, as Reverend Ike used to say, I am is your first name. What you put after I am is your last name. Make sure you give yourself a good last name. Scripture says it this way. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let's think about that. Let the weak say, that's a fact. Let the weak say, I am strong. In the book of Ezekiel, when he's speaking to the, the, when uh, Ezekiel is having the vision of the valley of the dry bones, and God is saying, can these bones live? Prophesy, In other words, speak to the dry bones and you, what you, the life you speak out of your mouth will be the life that goes into these bones, metaphorically letting us know that we have to speak life into what we think is uh, diminished and sometimes dead. So hallowed be thy name, thy nature, thy essential character your spiritual identity, who you are in God and who God is in you. All of that stuff matters. It matters a lot. All right. So he tells a lot about how people would make false oath in the near East, how they would use God's name to sell merchandise, et cetera. How, you know how, you know, sometimes you, you know, depending on the culture, going back and forth about prices is a part of the culture and how Jesus was like ah oh, no don't do that so on the bottom of page 42 he wrote Jesus was against the use of God's name and false oath as we can see in his comment recorded in the message of Matthew but let not your word but let your words be yes yes or no no anything more than these is from a deceiver Matthew 537 in other words, If one should call on God's name in an oath, then that then that individual needs to speak the plain, straight truth. Better for the conversation to be simply yes, yes, or no, no. You know, people to this day, you know, they'll lie on God's name, on their mama's name, on their daddy's, on my grandmama. This is the truth, and they're lying. But it's also disconnecting them from their own inner wholeness because they're out of integrity with the, with their Christ within themselves. But that's not the purpose of this lesson. Page 43, Jesus talked, I mean, Rocco wrote about the third commandment in Exodus, which is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. He translates it, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in falsehood. God's name is to be kept apart from lying words and false oaths. People will lie in God's name. I'm in mean, the church world, in the religious world, not just the church world, but the religious world. People have figured out ways to use God to get people to do what they want. Politicians do it, religious leaders do it, family leaders do it, local leaders do it, because the ego sometimes runs rampant and masquerades as spirituality. Again, another lesson for another day. Then he talks about how people use God's name, false teachers, uh, and, you know, wars, and holy wars, and all this type of stuff improperly using God's name. I'm not going to drill down on this because I want to give you stuff that you can work with. Page 44. The holiness of God. He wrote, God is holy. He is apart from error and evil, but his holiness does not mean that God is unapproachable, distant, or aloof. Many have mistaken have a mistaken idea about God's holiness. God is dedicated to the good of all humanity, for after all, he created us in his image and likeness. But like the Holy One who was called you, set yourself apart, be holy in your manner of living, because it is written, you shall sanctify yourself and be holy, for I am holy. The idea of holiness means to be distinct. In Hebrew, perushim, I'm assuming this is, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the rest of it. For the people of Israel, this meant that they, in becoming a holy nation, must keep themselves distinct from other nations. They were to be a model so that other nations could see what it would be like to have spiritual forces directing a people in matters of social and political, in all matters social and political. Now, let me just stop here for a second. If you have no discernible changes after you say you started to walk a conscious spiritual path, then you have not created the distinction. You have not been set apart. Now, I am not mean that you can't go anywhere and do anything, et cetera, but if your behavior is like everybody else's, you respond like everybody else, you are totally in tune with the modern way people move and think without having some level of spiritual understanding, spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom, spiritual faith, some grace in your life, some love, some cat compassion and forgiveness. If none of those things are discernible, I would suggest that you have not set yourself apart. That you have not created the distinction of what it means to walk in the path. Now, trust me when I tell you, I'm not saying that's always easy, but it's necessary if you want the transformation. Why? Because as I stated in my last series, asking, uh, asking is given your consciousness is either at levels of allowance or levels of resistance. And you have to determine, based upon what's showing up in your life, are you in more of a state of allowance or are you more in a state of resistance? Because that makes a difference. And when you're setting yourself apart, that means there's certain thoughts that you just don't allow yourself to get lost in. There's certain feelings you just don't allow yourself to get lost in. There's certain words you just don't say. There's certain actions you don't take. There's certain reactions you just don't have. Why? Because you have been set apart. If you who know the truth can't live at the level of your understanding, the truth you you know, then what hope is there for the world? You know better and won't do better. It's just something to think about. If you know better and won't do better, and then you want to talk about what other people are doing who are functioning at lower levels of consciousness, but are you in integrity with you? Are you distinct? Do you show up at work on time? Do you show up where you're supposed to be on time? Are you telling the truth? Are you manipulating people for your benefit? Is your behavior reflective of the message you say you believe in? just saying so we're going to take a quick break um just a reminder for those who are out there uh taking classes online and things of that nature that my uh johnny coleman institute i'm the director of at Christ universal temple is offering classes i'm not teaching a class this semester because i'm doing some other work for some classes that you all can't get in for people who become uh, licensed teachers for the Universal Foundation for Better Living. But there's a lot of other powerful teachers that are teaching. Go to cutemple.org, click on the classes tab, and see what you can come up with. By the time this plays, classes will already be going for one week, but that doesn't mean that you can't still get in the class. Uh, it's 12 weeks, you know, so if you miss one class, it's not the end of the world. So check that out. We'll be right back with True Transforms with Reverend Gaylin McDowell. Back the Truth transforms Reverend Galen McDowell. Let's get right back to it. I was talking about holiness before, but now we're going to drill down on page 45 on God's holy name. He says, we must always keep in mind that in this prayer, one is addressing Abba, Father. Therefore, we are speaking of the holiness of the Father and not just a deity's holiness. This is what makes the prayer so unique and so like Jesus. Again, Professor Scott, which I quoted last chapter, I believe, a New Testament scholar wrote. The setting apart of his name will evoke a healing wherein all will be drawn into the intimacy of Abba. At first glance, the potential to hollow or set apart appears to understand reality as divided, which would be unique in Jesus' language. But the name to be set apart in Abba, which connotes reality as a whole, status as destroyed. This transforms hollow so that the setting apart of such a name encompasses all within it. Reality becomes divisionless as it returns to his childhood, to when God is Abba. So what does all that mean? It's fancy scholarly talk to me that it pulls you back to the reality of the oneness within all things. The oneness of God. To where there's no big you and little me. The oneness of God. Hallowed be your name. Sacred be your name. Set apart be your name. Again, uh, you know, and not bringing God into our human silliness. And using God to justify our human silliness. That matters. All right. So, I do want to speak a little bit more because this is a short chapter. He wrote, we must always keep in mind that the prayer is directed to Abba, Father. Whether the prayer speaks of the name, will, power, or glory, it is always connected to the Father. So he gives these attunements at the end of the chapter. So he wrote, God's name represents all that is good and wholesome. So let us speak God's name in goodness and truth only. We recognize and acknowledge that all good surrounds the name of God as Father. We know that God as Father is for the good of all humanity. The parental presence of God and the holiness of his name is for our good also. All good surrounds us in his name. This is our second attunement. Now, let me just, just allow this to land because I want to give you some, again, practical application. I want you just to start affirming in your own mind, you know, just randomly. You could be at lunch, you could, you know, Relaxing on the couch, driving, and just start thinking, God is wholeness, and I am wholeness. God is wholeness, and I am wholeness. God is wholeness, and I am wholeness. What are you doing? You're setting apart your mind for the exploration and experience of truth. God is wholeness. I am wholeness. God is love. I am love. God is peace. I am peace. God is abundance. I am abundance. God is joy. I am joy. God is wisdom. I am wisdom. God is understanding. I am understanding. And so on and so on. What you're doing is setting apart your thought about God and yourself. Hallowed or sacred or set apart is your name, your nature, your essential character, your spiritual identity. You have to start setting yourself apart. Don't allow yourself to be involved. With stuff that's below you. I'm not talking about this from an ego perspective. You know, I'm talking about experiences and situations where people try to pull you into or you allow yourself to go into through your own decisions that are below your spiritual nature. They're not uplifting, they're not beneficial to your soul growth and consciousness. It's not about joy and fun and love and harmony. I'm not telling you not to go out and have a good time, have a party. And do what you want, whatever. But once the energy shifts to something that is not holistic, once it becomes low vibrational stuff, you have not set yourself apart. You're not distinct. You're not modeling what it is that you say you want to experience. I know situations and circumstances after being in, I've been teaching new thought now for 27 years. uh, Almost 28 now. And I can say say to you without a shadow of a doubt, people put themselves in situations that are below them as a spiritual being. They allow people to abuse them verbally, emotionally, sometimes physically. We allow people to manipulate our minds, uh, uh, manipulate us out of our income, manipulate us into uh, uh, emotional—manipulate our emotions to— lead us in ways in which are not for our highest good. We engage in things at times with abuse of alcohol or drug use or, uh, uh, gambling addictions and all these different type of things that really energetically bring us down. We allow ourselves to, you know, wallow in, Frustration, anxiety, and fear, and depression, and anger, or whatever. I'm not saying that nobody will ever have low moments. But you. But it's necessary to not live there mentally. Set yourself apart. Go get the help you need. If you need prayer, get prayer. If you need to be in a class, get in the class. If you need a therapist, get a therapist. I would say do all of the above. Whatever you need to do to get yourself to a state of distinction. I just don't let anybody just say anything to me. I don't let anybody just do anything around me. Even if it's not directly impacting me. If if something is happening in my space that I don't like, I leave. I don't make judgments about people. that They're doing what they feel as though they need to do. I don't need to be there. And I don't have to explain why. That's not how I move. You have to... Create the hollowness, the sacredness, the set-apart energy, the distinctive energy for your own life. If you don't, you will find yourself consistently compromising your own spiritual integrity. People tell you they're going to do something, and they don't. And then they you forgive them, and then they do the same thing again. And then they do the same thing again. And then they do the same thing again. Eventually, you got to start saying, "Okay, I have not, I have not made my own wholeness and honesty and truth, something that's an absolute in my life. I can't function with it, you know, without this being in my life." I, I've told people for years, nobody can come in my home that I don't trust. If I have to watch you, you can't come in. You know, we all know about people who relatives and family, friends, and things of that nature who. You know, they have addictions and habits and sometimes they're just shady folks or energetically they're off. They might not do any of those things, but energetically they're just off. I don't want them in my space. If I had to go do ministry where they are, great. And then I come back to my peaceful space because I consider my home set apart. Hallowed be your name and your home should be hallowed. Where you live should be hallowed. If you have a work environment, you got to go in there early or when people aren't paying attention, pray for your space, your office, your desk, your uh, your combined workspace, even though other people are there. Don't, don't let them see you, especially if you're at work, but you got to find ways in which you're blessing. Bless that desk. Bless that computer. Bless that chair. Bless that conference room. Bless, bless, bless the building. Sometimes you got to lay your hand on the door, just people not even seeing it, and just sanctify it. That's part of the process. So I'm going to close here. Hopefully you got something out of this process. And by the way, you should be doing that for your home. Bless, touch the walls, touch the door, touch the bedrooms, touch places where people are. Bless it and sanctify it. This has been set apart for your comfort, for your uh, protection, for uh, for grace and love, harmony, and joy. If you're not blessing your home, you're not being intentional about creating the space you want. And making sure that nobody needs to be in there that doesn't need to be in there. With that, thank you for listening. And I'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms with Reverend Gailey McDowell.